they understand what's ahead of them. You're playing against former champs who are battle-tested, who play well at home. Role players will play better at home. Stars will play better at home. You're going to be in a more of a hostile environment. So I think they're, they're in a spot to where they feel like, all right, they stole one on our court, let's go get one on theirs. I believe in manifestation. So whatever you think or believe is coming to light. If you think you're about to lose, you're going to tighten up. If you think you're about to miss a free throw, you're probably going to miss it. And you have to have the mentality that we're the best. The only question will be how many rings does he win before he retires? Before he hit that three, he was a Hall of Famer. After the three, I think he's a Hall of Famer yesterday. Welcome to the Josh Beckett episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 61. Uh, currently back in New York, uh, enjoying some sunlight. It's been raining like Portland as of late, but there's still great food, great people, great sights to see, and really enjoying my time away from the game while still talking about the game and watching from afar. Staring Jordan in the eyes, romantically across from him as I sit at this desk. Welcome to the Pull Up Pod, as always. Jordan, first things first. 1-1 series, heading back to the Oracle. To the Oracle. I think the Raptors really lost a golden opportunity in that game. They gave up a 20-0 run. I know how it feels, honestly. Uh, it happened three times to us, blowing a lead in the game where you felt like you should have won. But I think that may have been the series. That game may have been the deciding game of the series. 20-0 run. So that is the largest run in NBA Finals history since the merger. What what happened with Toronto was they, as Danny Green said, basically forgot how to play basketball. For him to say that, did you feel like that? Or is that just an extreme for the Raptors? I think that's a, a super extreme for the Raptors. I think that obviously, you know, the run comes at some point in a game. The team goes in a run. But not being able to stop the bleeding is what causes you to lose the game. When you need a basket— you know, being able to capitalize on an open three-pointer. They had some open looks. Being able to maybe get to their free throw line and create an easy opportunity to score is what usually stops the bleeding. When you don't, against a team like the like the uh, Warriors, and then Steph gets going, Clay gets going, they're getting to their free throw line, and Cook's hitting shots, um, Boogie's hitting shots. It, it kind of opens up the game, and it becomes more of a fun, free-flowing offensive game for them. And it's it's hard enough to stop them. But if you don't score, you can't win. And I think you know there comes a time throughout the game against the Warriors where you're not going to score. You're going to miss shots, but you have to be able to get stops in. They didn't do either one, obviously, you know, looking at the 20 run. We didn't do either one at, at times, but we were able to stop the bleeding, but we, we weren't able to get over the hump once we stopped the bleeding. And I think you know, in order to beat them, you got to be able to get to the free throw line. You got to be able to do something to where you create easy baskets because, you know, Steph, Clay, they're going to score points at some point. They're going to go on a run, but you got to be able to stop the bleeding. 24 fast break points for Toronto in game one. Game two, that was cut significantly. And what was also cut was um, the penetration for Siakam. He didn't have the same kind of room that he had in game one operating. I thought Draymond was excellent defensively with on Pascal. He made it a point after game one, see, where he said, I, I need to guard him. He's a guy now. Um, he guarded him really well. And also with Kawhi, another, I don't, it was a good performance, but it wasn't the same kind of classic Kawhi performance that we saw against Philadelphia, Milwaukee, because the way that uh, Golden State has guarded him is they are packing the lane, they are making sure that they have bodies attached to him. Uh, if he's in the post, they're digging, they're doubling, uh, they're making other guys beat them. In game one, we saw, 
the ancillary players make shots. Game two, we didn't see as much of that. Do you think that Toronto, when you say that uh, potentially the series, was it, I wonder if, if the pressure got to them of, oh my goodness, we could be up 2-0 now on the two-time defending champs. Did you feel like that happened or was it just Golden State doing what the Warriors do and blitzing them? I think it was a combination of both, honestly. I think they got a little tight, you know, looking at the score being in such a highly contested game with the stakes, you know, being so high, understanding that you have a chance to go up 2-0. They were right there. They could have they done it. Right there. You got a chance to go up 2-0, head back to the Oracle split, and you can finish them at home. That's a great, great position to be in. I think a lot of things played in played into the, the Warriors' hands. The experience, the fact that they've been here before, I think all those things were a factor. And I also think, looking at our series, having watched what we went through, the Raptors are aware, everyone's aware that the, that the Warriors go on runs in the third quarter. Yeah. They go on runs in the second half. Yeah. I think in the back of their mind, they were thinking about our series. I think they were thinking about what happened to us, honestly, you know, watching. And then when you're in that moment, you're thinking like, all right, we can't blow this league instead of just playing basketball. Like Danny Green talked about how they forgot how to play. I don't think they forgot how to play. I think they just started thinking more than they were playing. And that's when you miss easy shots. Yep, that's when you have defensive breakdowns. That's when you're not um, as free-flowing as you should be. And I think that that probably was the difference. But they'll look at the film and see that you get good looks. You get good looks, you just don't make them. When you don't make them, it's a make-or-miss league. Everything can change in a hurry. You look at you know the impact Cousins had. I thought he had a, a great impact on that game. His rebounding, his ability to play make. Uh, Quinn Cook hits I don't know three threes in a quarter. You know he's been great. You know throughout the playoffs, Iggy Banks. You know what? You know what was seemed to be the shot hurt. Yeah, after the Danny world. Green's three, Iggy's three ended the game. And if he misses that, who knows what happens? That put him up five. That ended the game. That put him up five. But the but the rewinded a little bit. Kawhi had a chance to get a steal. Steph Curry, according to the uh, late game report, I think he traveled. I think he traveled on. And then Livingston steps to the ball, right? Livingston steps through the ball. Kawhi kind of stopped short. Van Fleet had kind of taken off, like he thought it was a steal. They were out. They were out for the races to potentially tie the game up. All that swings into a Iggy wide open three, and it's it's crazy how like it's a it's a game of inches, even though it's not football. Like one offensive rebound, one possession here or there, one bad foul. One defensive breakdown where you let Steph get open for a three, a uh, costly turnover where Kawhi gets trapped at the end of the first or end of the second quarter. Steph gets an easy layup. Like those little plays, you know, they make all the difference. And I think, you know, the Warriors' um, history of being in those types of situations, uh, it showed. Did you feel like you were watching your series unfold again? Or is it just one game? No, I mean, I think it's just one game, honestly. Obviously, you know, they show that they can extend and hold leads in a winning game. The Warriors, one. yeah. Yeah, the Warriors and the Raptors winning game one and, right. and the, the way they won it. You know, they didn't play a great game. I don't think Kawhi is going to have – it's going to be hard for him to have a great game in this series where he's – think about it. He scored, what, 36 points? Yeah, and in game one, just as a point of reference, he was 5 of 14. Game one, he was 5 of 14. And to his credit, uh, Steph didn't shoot well either, uh, no. nor did Clay. Defenses are really focusing in on the best players. So it's going to be hard to shoot 50% every night. You're going to be going against two guys, three guys. You see how they guarded Steph. You see how they guarded Kawhi. They have defenders coming. But the key is getting to the free throw line. Kawhi gets 16 free throws, goes 16 for 16. Steph's been getting to the free throw line. Those are plays where you're getting contact and it would be a shot, but you don't get the shot off and you're able to, you know, kind of create easy points. But I don't I don't expect him to have a, a crazy game in this series because the Warriors know how good he is. They know he's capable of beating them. They want it to be left into the hands of Van Fleet, of Danny Green, of 
the others, you know, per se. And the Raptors are the same way. They leave Andre Iguodala wide open for a reason. Iggy, he almost hesitated, but I don't think he was. I think he was surprised that he was that opening, that he was that open. Then I also think with Iguodala, he he like thought it through really fast, knew the shot clock. Because he could have held the ball. He could have, but that's a shot you don't turn down. Right. A wide open three. And then he gathered himself. And he seemed the ball. Right. He seemed it. He laced it up. He lined it up. And that's a, that's not a pressure shot. People talk about, oh, it's a, it's a big up. shot, but because it's not a up. pressure shot. You're up yeah. two and you're wide open. Yeah. And you've hit bigger shots than that in your career. You've hit shots with your back against the wall yeah. in finals games. You know, he was finals MVP before. So this is nothing to him. Like, he, he talks about all the time. The regular season is just a tune-up for him. He doesn't really get excited to the playoffs. And even at that moment... He said it before, you know, they win the game. He's just really looking forward to getting home and getting back into his bed, old man style. I feel him. News just broke. Um, officially, Kevin Durant will not play game three. So and probably not too big of a surprise, but does that impact uh, Toronto's philosophy at all? Um, it obviously means that they don't have to worry about him from an offensive standpoint. Also, Katie's a rim protector. But why don't we assume that Clay's not 100%. Obviously, Iggy's not 100%. No KD. Um, does Toronto feel good about where they're at? I think they feel good about where they're at because they were able to get a win, probably could have got the second win. But at the same time, they understand what's ahead of them. You're playing against, you know, the champs, former champs who are battle-tested, who play well at home. Role players will play better at home. Stars will play better at home. We're going to be in a more of a hostile environment. Calls may not go the same as they did at home. And you have a chance to either take the lead in the series, go down 2-1, go back to Toronto 2-2, or go back to Toronto 3-1 and have your backs all the way against the wall. So I think they're they're in a spot to where they feel like, all right, they stole one on our court. Let's go get one on theirs and, and see what happens. But in the event that they go down 2-1, which I think is going to happen, it is very important for them to not go back to Toronto down 3-1. CJ, this is Kawhi's time. I mean, we talk about the Warriors' defense and what they can dictate, but Kawhi has to dictate now what he wants because he's that guy for the Raptors. We, you know, They have ancillary parts. You know, I thought Gasol was neutralized by Cousins, um, Ibaka. You know, maybe Van Fleet hits some more threes, Powell. But but the guy is Leonard. You know, Golden State has several guys, especially if KD plays. But the Raptors rely on Leonard more than more than anything, and and he has to take over. This is really his time. And I would look at Game Three and say, you know, he has to be great. I think Kawhi is going to continue to be aggressive as he's done, you know, historically. You know, he'll take shots over two defenders at times. You know, he may have to shoot fadeaways over three defenders every now and then, but he'll empower his teammates, try to make the right plays. But when it, when push comes to shove, he's going to be, you know, looking to make his impact felt and win or lose with the decision he makes. Look at that Sixer series. How often was he shooting over two defenders? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. And yeah. he seemed pretty comfortable with yeah. it because of his size and athleticism, and he likes to dribble baseline. Yeah. Yeah. The game winner he hit was over yeah. two and a half, yeah. three defenders. I look for him to be extremely aggressive in game three, but even more aggressive in game four because I feel like they're going to be down 2-1, and he's going to have to really, you know, make his make his uh, imprint, yeah. imprint yeah. on the game. I, I, I thought that um, Cousins, the lift that he gave them, was really interesting. So he plays eight minutes in game one. Those were, I would say those were a rough eight minutes for him. He didn't look comfortable. He didn't have any kind of touch. 
He looked like he was really laboring. Then game two, Steve Kerr says, I'm going to start Boogie instead of Looney, who was really good in game one, goes four for five and has nine points. Um, and I was confused. I was flummoxed a little bit by the start with Cousins in game two. He says he wanted to play him 20 minutes. Cousins ends up playing 28 minutes. He has a double-double. He has six assists. He inverted the floor. Um, and he was also someone, even though he's not blocking shots, from a physicality perspective, I went back and watched game two. When Lowry and Van Vliet, who are two small guards, when they were trying to get into the lane, Cousins was a factor. He also switched onto them and did a fairly good job. So I was really impressed and quite honestly surprised at the impact Boogie had on game two. I was surprised too, not in the impact he had, but that the conditioning was there for him to play minutes. 28 minutes. I think he's a better player as a starter. I felt like he would kind of struggle trying to find his way, you know, coming off the bench, having not played in a long time, figuring out the pace of the game, figuring out how aggressive he should be. In game one, a lot of times he was kind of looking around trying to figure out you know, where I fit in at. In game two, he was like, I fit in. I know who I am. I'm going to make the right plays. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to just be me. And I think that's more of a efficient role for him. And I also think that Kerr knew Looney's collarbone, collarbone was bothering yeah. him. They ended up releasing that he fractured yeah. it. Yeah. I think that played a factor in him saying, like, look, he's going to be starting for the rest of this series. Let's start him now. Let's let him get his feet wet. Let him get comfortable on the road before he comes back home and and." They know he's going to play better at home. They know the rest of the team is going to play better at home. And it was more of a get that conditioning up because you're going to have to play 30, you know, these next yeah. couple games because KD's not coming back in game three. Cousins, like, he, for a guy that hasn't played in the playoffs, this is his first ever um, sustained series. Obviously, he got hurt earlier. I think it says a lot about him to put his uh, f- potential earning future on the line, CJ, and you say, you know what, I am a team guy. Because the the knock on Boogie was he doesn't make his teams better or he makes them worse. He's certainly not a winner. That was always what people said about him, even when he was playing great basketball uh, with Anthony Davis in New Orleans. Then he gets hurt um, and obviously ends up signing with Golden State. Then he gets hurt again. And when you're that big and you're talking about injuries, you worry about more injuries. And this is he's going to be a free agent. This is him saying, I'm a team guy. And I'm willing to do the dirty work. I'm willing to not necessarily be the number one or number two option. And I'm a winning player. I think this is the most important moment of DeMarcus's career. And so far, so good. Yeah, I think he's showing that Look, I'm willing to sacrifice, as you said before, but he's also showing, like, look, look how skilled and good I am. I haven't played in weeks. I've been hurt. I'm coming off an Achilles injury, and I'm still dominating an NBA Finals game in which I don't have rhythm. I'm not really in game shape, and I've been kind of thrust into a role I haven't played in weeks, and the team's kind of adjusted without me. And his skill set, being able to pass, I knew that was there because we played against him in He's Sacramento. We played against yeah. him in New Orleans. The passing was there. I think the knock on him, you know, not making his teammates better it was just due to some of the things that happened in the locker rooms. More of an emotional standpoint. More of an emotional standpoint of, you know, some of the situations that may have come about off the court. I think on the court, he does what he does, and it's it's been consistent. He's getting buckets. He's getting rebounds. And he's not just a willing passer. I think he enjoys passing. And we'll get assists, you know, getting six assists. He averaged five assists, five and a half, five, five and a half assists in New Orleans. And he showed his ability to just make plays. He's a hooper. I mean, regardless of what you think about him off the court, and I know him off the court, I know him on the court, 
he's been nothing but respectful to me. I have a, a great deal of respect for his game, his approach, what he does for the community. I think a lot of times you get a bad stereotype based on some situations that happen where I wasn't there, I don't know. Some of it may have been blown out of proportion. Some of it may have been on him, you know, being immature, maybe doing some things he shouldn't have done and learning from it now that he's in this position where, like you said before, he's not just playing for the Warriors. He's playing for his future. He's a free agent. He has a history of doing things, you know, a certain way. He has never been in the playoffs before. And now he's proving that, look, I can play in the playoffs. I can sacrifice. I'm not going to play 35 minutes. I even came off the bench a game in the finals. I'm not taking all the shots. I'm just trying to win and get this next deal. And I think he's showing that uh, he can help any team in the league. There's a perception around Marcus that um, that how do I say this that he's not a great guy. The the more players I've talked to, including you, just now you just said it. It's that it's not that Cousins is not a good guy. He is a good guy. He's he's had issues of maturity. He's an emotional person, and he's been in locker rooms where things did not go well, and they really dominoed. But now he's in a good locker room on a with a winning culture, and the Warriors will tell you like he's been nothing but good for them, and he's developed a great relationship with Draymond. And I, I, it's just it's interesting that you know we talk about perception being reality with Cousins. Maybe this is his opportunity to show that he's a good teammate, that he's a winning player, and he's someone you actually want on your team as opposed to um, you know being so concerned that if you bring him, he'll help. Or he'll change the culture. Now he can actually add to the culture. And I think, again, it's the most important point of his career because um, not only is he winning, uh, but he's also contributing in a way that he hasn't done before, and he's showing that he can do it on a big stage. Yeah, I, I think we're both right. He's he's showing everything. He's playing, he's playing the game the right way. And Steve Kerr said it at the press conference. He said, Boogie's been great. He told me, look, however way you see me fit, play I'm me in. that way. Yeah. I'm in. Don't worry about trying to get me acclimated to the team. Don't worry about my touches. I'll figure it out. You know, you play me what you see fit. And I think that that shows, like I said before, a level of maturity and a sign of growth because the old Boogie, I don't think he would have came into this situation with that same mindset. That like same early mentality. Kings Boogie. Early Kings Boogie. I don't think he would have been thinking this. I think the fact that he's gone through what he's gone through, the injuries, that gives you a different type of perspective. When you get hurt, it changes your mentality. It changes your mindset. It changes your thought process on everything. And you start to really see bigger picture because something you love your whole life is literally taken away from you and you can't do it. And that puts you in a spot to be vulnerable and be comfortable being vulnerable. And I think that he's grown. He's been around so many unselfish players. This is the most unselfish team in the NBA. And the most talented. And the most talented. From top to bottom, you talk about sacrifice. Clay, he sacrifices. And it ends up costing them all NBA. Draymond has been sacrificing. KD sacrifices. Steph, obviously, he's two-time MVP, first unanimous ever. Yeah. He sacrifices. Two-time MVP, unanimous one year, has never won in finals in MVP finals. Think about that. This Crazy. Is, and this this is his fifth final, Steph. Um, and they've won three. They've won three out of the four. Um, if if this series continues the way it does, on that note, um, let's say Steph continues to play well, but not great. He hasn't played great yet. He's had spurts. I wonder if the MVP can maybe go to Draymond because he was fourteen to one before. By the way. He and he's been the tempo again, the tempo setter, the the energy. He's been great. Steph will need to have a Steph like game 
to win MVP. So he needs one. He just, I think he just needs one signature game. He I mean he's been consistent. You know, throughout the playoffs, he's averaging twenty-seven, five, and six. But he was, but he wasn't very good in game one. He had a, he was zero for six to start game two. Then he got a rhythm. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't like he hasn't had that 35 40 point game. He hasn't had the big explosion game yet and I think it's coming. I think the big explosion game is coming and if it does, I think that gives him the edge over Draymond. If it doesn't, if it stays like it is now, then it's Dre. And Draymond flirts with a triple double and guards and guards and he has a signature moment in in an elimination game. I think people, like I said before, people are prisoners of the moment. It's a what have you done for me lately? No one will remember game 1. No, no one will remember game 2 and the fact that Steph started over 6. They'll look and they'll say two games in the final, Steph's averaging 28 and a half points <laughs> on 63% true shooting. Yeah. And by the time the finals is over, it could be 30. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You average 30 points per game in the finals. And your team wins. You're the MVP. With six rebounds and five assists, you're the MVP. Especially if, if you haven't won it before. There's no voter fatigue. No voter fatigue. And his only counterpart is Draymond, who I like Draymond personally. But how many media members are really fans of Draymond? I think that's a one or the other. There's not a lot of middle ground. You either love Draymond or you yes. hate Draymond in media eyes. He gives great interviews. He's very candid. He keeps it real. But some people may not like his antics. And he's changed his antics. He showed a sign of maturity. He hasn't argued with the refs as much. He's not as demonstrative on the court. But his energy is infectious, and his teammates feed off of it. And if Steph's not the MVP, he's the MVP of the finals. And Clay was he was tremendous in game two. Yeah. We, we called that. Then he gets hurt. Um, <laughs> you almost, Steve Kerr said Clay would tell me he was okay if he was half dead. Clay's just that guy. He's like a silent killer. He's an assassin. He's a marksman. He's a sniper. The guy is so good, but he is underappreciated. If if he's not, just hypothetically see, let's say Clay plays game three, plays the rest of the series, but he's 75, 80%. And let's say KD comes back, but he's 80%. Um, how much pressure does that put on Steph and is there any doubt in your mind that Steph can absorb that pressure and succeed? I think he can absorb the pressure and succeed, no doubt. I think he's uh, the type of player who enjoys when people say he can't do things, enjoys when people criticize him. Exactly, because he's kind of fed off you, of it. You know? He's fed off of it. I'm sure he hears the whispers about you know how good is he. You know, he hasn't he won a finals anybody. MVP. He doesn't guard. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Before they said he didn't make his teammates better. Now, I don't know what they say about him. He guarded in game two, by the way. Now they say... Now they say, um, well, they say he doesn't play defense, and they say that you know uh, he's he's fragile or he uh, he hasn't played great in the finals. Delvadova bothered him in the finals. Now now Van Fleet's bothering him in the finals. That you know, there's always something. But you know, it's funny. Van Fleet's bothering him, but he's averaging 28 and a half points per right. game. So it's like we have this expectation of greatness and how a player should play, how a player should look. He should be this. He should be that. He should win MVP. Like if your team's winning, who cares? And I think that he has that mentality and that mindset. But now he knows this is his chance to win finals MVP because KD, I was thinking that the perfect ending for KD, come back game three. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah. Win game three. Win game four. Win game five. Steals the finals MVP. Average 35. Average is 35. Walks off into the sunset and leaves and goes wherever he wants to go. I thought that that was going to happen. Now, it could happen game four or game five. But at this point, it may be too little too late because the body of work would be that right. the Warriors were up 2-1 two, two, going into game four. Yeah. Then he comes back. So if they were down 2-1. 
Man, if they were down 0-2, oh, and he comes back, and that would have been the most epic finals reappearance that we, we may ever see. But it didn't happen that way. It wasn't meant to be that way. Well, if he does steal an MVP, that would be three straight finals MVPs to complement Iggy's first uh, finals MVP. It's hard, it's hard to believe that Steph has not had that yet. I mean, it's really the only thing he hasn't done. I mean, USA gold medal, two-time MVP, three championships. He has not won a Finals MVP, and it's it's shocking. And I'm sure that deep down, he wants it. Yeah. Oh, deep down, it's it's on his mind. He's very aware of it, and he's thinking, all right, a couple more big performances, finish this off. They won't be able to say anything about me after this. Somebody will say something. I mean, they will, but it won't. It <laughs> yeah, won't be yeah. valid. It no won't. Valid. You can say you. You no always valid. say something. They say something about Jordan. Yeah. It won't be valid. Right. It'll be just someone's opinion it won't be fact because the facts show that he's arguably the greatest player ever arguably the greatest point guard ever arguably the most transcending player the game's ever seen and it's not just because of the championship the championships help it's because of how he plays and how it's revolutionized the game how kids shoot threes now how kids want to shoot these threes. The game. yeah look who's coming in the nba i mean look at the impact that that trey young had this year as you know, not not Steph, but certainly a same type of game. I don't know if if we can even I don't know if we can overstate, CJ, the importance that Steph has had on changing the game on modern day basketball, not only at the NBA level, at youth levels, uh, the AAU circuit. Just watch how basketball is played now. Watch the way the floor is spread. We talk about bigs being able to shoot. Well, it's just the range in which Steph shoots, the flair he has. Um, he, he's had an incredible impact, positive on basketball. Has he, I mean, I, I know he's impacted you, but has that style impacted you in a way that maybe it wouldn't have had you not seen it? Like, did he inspire you at all? Um, I mean, I told him. I told him. I told Dame. I told Eric Maynard. A lot, a lot of the young players who are young players, a lot of the major players who came before me. Eric Maynard, VCU, B2. Yep. I told him I'm appreciative of, of everything you guys have done for the game. Not only have I admired what they've been able to accomplish, but I've watched and studied it and tried to imitate some of it, understanding what I need to do in college to get to the NBA, understanding the type of work ethic I needed to have, understanding the type of approach I needed to have, understanding the type of success I needed to put on the court to be able to extend a long career as a mid-major. I told him I appreciate what you've done. You've opened the door up for me, and I'm going to step through and open it up some more for the next guy. And I told Ja the same thing. Like, you have a responsibility. Not just for yourself, but for the next John Morant. Like, how we play affects the next generation. Right. If Steph doesn't come in and dominate, if Dame doesn't come in and dominate. The mid-majors can't play. They won't draft us. They'll yeah. be like, ah, they're not ready. They're too yeah. this, they're too that. The competition yeah. wasn't there. Or combo guards aren't what it is. Or he's not. he needs to be 6'6", 215. Right. Like, that's what the prototype two guard needs to look like. Now, the prototypical two guard is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. But most of the time, you need to be able to shoot because you're a shooting guard. So I think that you know what they've been able to do, what Steph's been able to do, has been impressive because of where he's come from, what he's come from. And I know what it's like because I've seen it. I've watched it, the path. And then what he's been able to finesse from a business standpoint, surrounding himself with the right people, creating his Facebook watch stuff, his mm -hmm. stuff off the court, you know, how he's been able to new have documentary. a new documentary. Yeah. New documentary, happy family, no scandals. Like he's he's done a great job of staying Steph throughout all the chaos, throughout the buku, buku money he's going to make. And he's been himself, and he's been authentic and organically himself throughout the entire process. And I think that shows what type of character you truly have when you're able to everything's going your favor, but you still stick to who you are and don't forget who you are.
knowing how good he is and how great he's going to be these next few games, what you say to Toronto, go back at the Warriors like you did in game one, push tempo, or would you say slow it down, muddy it up, don't make it into a track meet because you're going to play into their hands and you're going to allow more threes? I think you just got to play your game. You can't be afraid to push it at them. The Warriors are vulnerable in transition. So That's can, my thing. If you can create yes. misses, yep. you got to run. You got to run. You don't want to go up against the set defense. And I think in that in the third quarter, fourth quarter, when they go on their runs, you're going up against their set defense, which is excellent. You got yeah. the ultimate help. You got the ultimate rotations down. They've been there before. They tighten everything up. Everything is better in the second half because they know they're that much closer to getting a win. So... You got to get out and run. I don't care if you're at home, if you're on the road. You get out and run, you take selectively good shots. Good threes in transition, yeah. you take them. Chance to get to the rim, you take it. Otherwise, you're going up against a stacked defense, and you're going to end up shooting a, a shot at the end of the shot clock anyway that's forced. Yeah. I uh, just want to look it up. I think they had – the Raptors had 15 offensive rebounds in game two, if I'm not mistaken, 16 or 15. The reason I bring it up um, – 15, 15. The reason I bring it up, CJ, is because it seemed like, to your point, the Warriors were not crashing the glass in Game 2 and purposely having one or two guys back at all times because they know they're vulnerable in transition and they don't want to give up easy threes to the Raptors. The Warriors had six offensive rebounds in Game 2. It did not seem like they were particularly interested in creating second-chance points. It was more important to have one or two guys back to eliminate the transition opportunities for the Raptors, knowing that they don't want to give up easy threes, knowing that they're vulnerable on the break. Yeah, I think that was a point of emphasis for them, and I think Dre talked about it. He said that we were playing on our heels, and it all starts with me. He said I was playing on in my heels one. in game one, and Pascal was attacking me. We were kind of like cautiously optimistic as we went throughout the game, and kind of basically he was like, we the champs, and we didn't play like we were the champs. We played like we were a contender. We were nervous. We were Filling the game out. I think in game two, they weren't filling the game out. They were being the aggressors. They were attacking. But more importantly, they were prepared for transition opportunities defensively, making sure that they're back because they know that they're such a good defensive team in the half court. If they can limit your opportunities in transition, if they can limit your uncontested baskets, they know that you're really in trouble against them. And I think they showed that in the second half. Like, one guy's back, two guys are back. You're able to kind of hold them off on the fast break and then kind of just rally around that and make them, make them, make the other guys shoot tough shots. You know, put Kawhi in a position where he feels like he has to pass or where he feels like he has to force the action and take bad shots. Either way, it's a win win for them because then you know, the rhythm is thrown off. I wonder if, for Nick Nurse if, if he looks at this, these games three and game four as if we can. If we can split, then we're in great shape. Or um, do they look at it like we throw all our eggs into game three? Um, you know, there's more pressure on game three. We can't go down 2-1. Like the thought process for the Raptors being that, you know, we, we, we cannot let this thing get away from us. We let game two get away. What if game three gets away? We're down 2-1. Now, now suddenly it's probably 3-1. Like there's got to be some kind of pressure. This is why I said – the Warriors had to win game two. It felt like a must win for them because if they go home down 2-0, even though they're at home, the pressure is – Got to win both. Dra yes, is drastically uh, shifted toward them because they're the two-time defending champs. But now is that it's 1-1, it's almost counterintuitive, but it feels like the pressure's on Toronto yeah. in game three. Pressure's definitely on Toronto. Um, the most important game is always the next game. This is a must win for them. 
The winner, the winner, like I said before, winner I, thought, game three. I thought the winner of game two this was going to win the series regardless. I think the Warriors win this in six regardless of what happens in game three. But if the Raptors go down 2-1, the percentages are not in their favor. The, the team that goes up 2-1, especially when you're 2-1 at home for game four, a chance to go up three one, it's like seventy five percent. I think it's like seven. The winner yeah. of game three wins like seventy two to seventy seven percent of the time. But when you have a home game for the next game, you go up two one with a chance to go up three one. Series is over. You go up three one, the series is basically over unless you got LeBron James on your team. Yeah. <laughs> unless Dre is suspended. Unless Dre is suspended and you got LeBron on your team, like the, it's chances of you coming back are very slim. It's not impossible. It's possible, but it's a lot of work because then you got to go back to the Oracle. And win a must-win game in Game Six. So, yeah, I think they're looking at this like, look, they're wounded. This is our like, we're never gonna have a better shot. Katie's not playing. Clay is hurt. His yeah. hamstring is hurt. He's Iggy's gonna play. Not a hundred percent. Iggy's not a hundred percent. They say Steph is sick or something like that. I don't know what's Cousins going on. is still getting his sea legs. We would assume Cousins is not the Demarcus we seen yeah. two years ago, but he's still good. There's no time like the present. You win this game and you go up 2-1, then the pressure shifts back. Then you're thinking, okay, now we got three games to win two. Does, do the Warriors even at this point, though, how much does pressure impact them? You don't entertain those thoughts. You can't because I believe in manifestation. So whatever you think or believe yeah. is coming to light. Think if it, you think you might think lose, you're going to tighten up. If you think you're about to miss a free throw, you're probably going to miss it. And you, you have to have that mentality. Like Draymond said before, you have to have the mentality that we're the best. And they lost it for a second, but they got it back. We're the best. I'm the best. No one can check me. And that's my mentality every day. I'm the best in the world. No one can see me. Whether it's true or not is, regard, is irrelevant. You have to believe you are untouchable. You have to believe that you are unstoppable. If you are a scorer, like I'm a scorer, no one can check me. And I don't just say that like, like I'm not pissing into the wind. Yeah. Like I really believe no one can check me. And there's some people out there that think they can check me as they should, but I don't think they can. And if you put me in that island... I'm going to swim out, and you're going to drown. <laughs> you know it's, what I'm saying? It's Alcatraz. You're escaping. I'm escaping. You're not. Or I'm getting in a raft, and you're There's you're one seat left on this boat. <laughs> I'm kicking you off, and I'm watching you die like the hundred. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, And that's yeah, the mentality you got to have because otherwise you're not going to be successful if you have doubts or if you have fear and you— you rationally like put that fear into the universe right. that shit becomes real and it becomes a deterrent and it really affects you yeah fear is real it's a matter of how much you let it impact you you right. cannot entertain it more show in a minute but first what's that one dish from your favorite restaurant that you can never recreate at home what if someone brought it right to your door DoorDash connects you to all of your favorite restaurants in your city Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your Dasher will bring it right to you, wherever you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,000 cities in all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code PULLUP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code PULLUP. Again, that's promo code PULLUP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, back to the show. I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss Iggy's Hall of Fame candidacy. Absolutely. So this is a good segue. I think he's a Hall of Fame. I agree. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Like you said, he's got three championships. I'm looking at his his stats. Stats on basketball reference. <clears throat> he's played in eight seasons with Philly, six seasons with the Warriors, one season with Denver. Career numbers. People are going to be like, what? You think he's a Hall of Well, I think what's important with Iguodala is he – it's easy to forget now that he was once uh, the guy in Philadelphia. 21 and a half points per yeah. game. Yeah. I mean, he was really, you know, he was a, he was an all-NBA caliber player at one point in his career. Now, he's 35. The naysayers would say he was never a dominant player. But here's what he has done. Three-time NBA champ, potentially a fourth. NBA Finals MVP. NBA All-Star. Uh, two-time All-NBA defensive team. And an Olympic gold medalist. So, what about that is not Hall of Fame? And he's played 141 playoff games, started 77 of them. He comes alive in the playoffs. He hits big shots in the playoffs. He averages double digits for his career in the playoffs, averages double digits for his career in the regular season, and has a chance to get ring number four. I made the comparison, and some people— Robert Ory? Yeah. Did you see that? I didn't see it, but I thought it. When I, when I, when I thought about Robert Ory's career, yes, less defense. He scored a lot early on in his career, but similar, and he was never a finals MVP. Never a finals MVP, but hit big shot after big, big shot. shot if you looked at the stats, I would imagine that their points per game were similar probably comparable. similar yeah. comparable. Just the only question will be how many rings does he win before he retires? Well, Either way, he's a, I think he's a Hall of Famer yesterday. Before you hit that three, he was a Hall of Famer. After the three, I he think just he's keeps doing this. That's the point. He keeps making plays, whether it's the chase down block of Braun, whether it's you know timely corner buckets. He has he has the steal strip versus Dame. He has the three in game two. I mean, how many things does this guy have to do? And as Steve Kerr said, like he's just a great basketball player. I mean, Andre Iguodala is a great, great basketball player. He's thirty five years old. He's been in the NBA since 04, the year I graduated high school. He's he has transformed himself one one time after another. Like he keeps changing his his game. He keeps altering his his ability to affect the game in positive ways. Whatever you need, he can do. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Maybe that's the question we should be asking. Is he a first ballot? And by the way, we talk about being liked by media. He is very well liked by media. So that helps. Very well liked by media. In fact, he told Ethan Strauss of the Athletic, 
after game four against us, they asked him about the speculation of being in the Hall of Fame. Right. He said, I don't care, yeah. really. Some players get emotional during these ceremony speeches. None of it matters, replied. Does anyone remember any of those speeches other than Jordan's? Which is a great point. He, I remember Jordan's speech in the Hall of Fame, but I don't really remember anyone else's. Jordan's, uh, maybe Gary Payton's. No, Jordan's was the one because he went after Russell again. Poor Brian Russell. That was the, the best one. Yeah. When Michael Jordan turned 50 to me, that was like the weirdest moment ever, by the way. <laughs> he's, like like I, the, he's like the OG of the game. So as he yeah. gets older, you start to realize like, wow, that was a real, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Man. That's when your own um, mortality becomes uh, more relevant. So the reason I brought up Iguodala too with, is because I went on Instagram and I said, he's a Robert Ori of this generation, but better. And a lot of people hammered me for it. You think that's a legitimate comparison, and do you agree that he's had a, a better career or a more impactful career, Iguodala? I don't know if you can compare the imp- impactfulness of them. I think that they're definitely comparable careers in the sense that underappreciated guys, people who play the game, know the game, understand the game, really realize the impact they've had on right. their teams, what they've been able to accomplish, how important their roles were, not just the big shots, but defensively, the sacrifice, being able to make the extra pass, just being a good piece to the puzzle there's not a lot of being a necessary piece, necessary and good pieces to the puzzle. There's guys who are just out there and they fill a role, but these are guys who. How different are the Warriors without Iggy? His defensive versatility, big shot making ability, willingness, willingness to sacrifice, willingness to make the right passes and not try to do too much. Always the right pass. Always the right pass. Never doing too much. I think. Right. <laughs> and, and always like locking down. Always strapped up. Always. And, and never really complain. Like, he, he should be a starter throughout the regular season, but he doesn't make a big deal of that because he knows when it's time to play in the playoffs, he's finishing games and he's going to be out there starting. One of the tougher, toughest defenders you've, you've gone against? I think just because of his smarts, his strength, and his Length. ability, his ability yeah. to just, like, nothing really phases him. He's not really out there trying to argue with refs. He just goes and hoops, goes about his day. Like, if you score on him, so be it. He doesn't get rattled. He's always the same. Always the same, never too high, never too low. Plus, he's just, he looks like he's still 22. The guy is in impeccable physical condition. Here's what I would say, just to close the loop on this. If they don't have, if the Warriors do not have under Iguodala during this run, I would make the argument that they would not have won at least one, possibly two of their three championships because his impact has been that significant. Yeah. I mean, they're for sure not winning the one he won MVP in. Well, that's the LeBron chase down block, right? So no, no, actually that wasn't the MVP. That was a KD one. Iggy won MVP before KD came. No, I know. I'm saying so the, the chase down block against Braun was pre KD. Pre KD. That was the one he that won. That was the three one series. So they don't win that series. That was three, that was that was the series they lost. Oh, that is the series they lost. Yeah. You're right. That's the Kyrie game. That was the game that changed the entire right. series. You're right. You're right. That no, but he had the chase down block. LeBron had the chase down block. On Iggy. On Iggy, right. Yeah, but Iggy's had chase down blocks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has. He has. He's had three or four like significant ones. But the LeBron chase down block was the Kyrie shot that ultimately won the game. That was game seven in, in San Francisco, in Oakland. Exactly. So I would make the argument that he has impacted so much so Iguodala that they haven't they wouldn't have won at least one, possibly two. For sure. That's not that's not debatable. That's that's for certain. So the finals MVP that he got, and then and then another one. 
They probably would have won last year regardless, right? Yeah, and they probably don't win this year without him. But you think they beat Cleveland regardless last year? What was it, 4-1? That's, that's why I was Yeah, it was yeah. a wash, yeah. One of them they was winning regardless. And but you, maybe they don't get there without him. Maybe they don't get to that position to beat Cleveland without right. him. And this year, at least so far, they need him. I mean, knowing Godala, they're down 2-0. There is no doubt that in my mind they're down 2-0 if he doesn't play game two. Yeah, it's a different it's a different series without him, for sure. Um, so something else happened in sports. I don't even think this was on the rundown, but I'm just curious for you. Did you happen to see or hear about the Anthony Joshua Ruiz fight? Do you know what happened? Anthony Joshua? So Anthony Joshua, 24-0, um, heavyweight champion of the world. <sighs> UK's finest. I was at a wedding now. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. Well, we, he... You know, you can make an argument that he didn't fight great fighters. He didn't want to fight Wilder. He got slept. He comes to the U.S. That He's always fought in the U.K. That's home. That's where he's comfortable. He comes to the U.S., as he says, to chase down a multi-belt fight. He fights Ruiz, who nobody knows, who looks like he's not in great shape. He's 270 pounds. Yeah, he looks fat. And he gets knocked out. And that was the fifth or sixth biggest upset since the Buster Douglas Mike Tyson fight. He was fifteen to one. Was Ruiz? No, oh, that was a nice payout for a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Some guy bet a hundred thousand dollars on Joshua to win five grand. He lost a hundred grand. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts me. That hurts. So, did you see the fight? Or obviously, you didn't see it live, but you heard about it. Yeah, I seen the highlights. I, I mean, I seen him getting. Destroyed. I seen him get whooped on, not landed a lot of punches. You know, in such great for him to be in such physically great shape from Impeccable. the looks of it. Man, yeah, he got knocked out by the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> <laughs> Ruiz is not no Canelo. disrespect to. Lu- He's a great fighter, obviously. Yeah, I don't know much about boxing. I don't know much about the boxing world, but them hands looked like they was very lethal. They lethal. Well, we talk about the reason it's I bring up Canelo is because he's known as like the greatest Mexican fighter um, since De La Hoya. And Ruiz is now considered like the Mexican pride. Um, and he and did it in the heavyweight division, which is, you know, the most important in many people's eyes. So, um, oh, you're going to China Thursday. Tell us about it. I'm going to China for my leaning tours and my second uh, annual leaning tour. I'll be touching down in a lot of different cities. Let me actually pull up the schedule so I can see. Um, exactly what cities I'll be in. Where, where are you flying to first? Shanghai? That is a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> it is the global impact of basketball. And obviously you, um, you will be appearing. I'm flying to Nanning. Wow. I'm from Nanning to Shanghai. So, I'm, yeah, like you said before, this is a big opportunity for me to continue to build the brand, really get to touch down and experience the Chinese culture, being able to bond with fans, being able to see fans go to camps, have store appearances, you know, basically plan the apparel launch for, for the upcoming season, plan some of the apparel I plan to play in, colorways, things of that nature. We used to conduct a photo shoot. Um, I actually will be a part of a three-day camp um, in Shanghai as well. For kids. For kids. I'm oh, looking forward to that. That'll be, that'll be a dope opportunity. We're actually putting an app together as well with some – 
with some workouts to just kind of sell to people who are interested in learning, you know, specific moves and workouts. But the biggest thing about going to China is that a lot of players don't go to China, so you have to take advantage of your time there. You have to take advantage of the fact that they have three times as many fans as we do people here in the United States. And there's just a big population of people who genuinely love and care for basketball and are genuinely happy to see us. You know, they come out in full support. And with the time difference, you know, they, they, they watch our games regardless of what time it is. And just the love they give us, it's only right that we give it back. So I'm really, really looking forward to it, man. How, how many times have you been? I've been to China four times. This will be my second time with Li Ning. Because you went last summer too, right? I went last summer as well. So I know it's work and it's three weeks, but are you able to enjoy the experience? I definitely enjoy the experience, especially when you look back at the pictures and just seeing how the impact, yeah, how happy people are to right. see you, how many people come out. You know, me being like a, just a, a kid from Canton, Ohio, being able to go to China, represent a brand, and to have people that want to buy my shoes and stand in line for them, and want to buy my merch, and want to take pictures and wait wait outside the hotel. Um, it's it's an amazing experience, but it is work. Like I lift at six a.m. every day. Um, I'm on the court at seven thirty, and wow. then I take a shower, eat breakfast, and then I'm on tour all day. So I'm going store to store, city to city, and I just fast forward and do it all over again. What's like the craziest request? Did you have anybody say like, you know, to take some crazy picture or? Um, they wanted something really weird signed or anything like that. I mean, we we released a, a Ushuai, Ushuai um, eleven last year while we were out there. We, le- we released a, a white themed colorway that was based on the city we were in. It was like focused on that That's city cool. and like kind of like their it's like a Chinese garden. So it basically had like it was like a white floral print which focused on like a garden they actually had in that city and we just we sold 300 pairs sold out in like 4 minutes and the line was crazy and people were flying from like neighboring um cities to come to this city just Okay so if this was in New York it'd be like somebody flying from uh Montreal oh, that's a bad example Toronto or DC or Pennsylvania wherever Three just hour to, flight right. just to come buy these shoes and then fly out Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, the dedication they have is is unlike anything you'll see, man. It was it was it was a really dope experience, and looking forward to seeing you know the turnout this year after you know continuing to build build my name, build my brand, and and be more familiar with the leading brand in the country. Is it is is it more is more strenuous being in China? The province, not country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. It's more it's more strenuous being in China than than like a two week road trip in the league. Is that comparable? It's just like uh, it's a lot of stress on your body, you know what I mean. But the time zone, like the jet lag, is is it takes you a week brutal. to adjust. The jet lag is brutal. Yeah, it's yeah. brutal. It's it's just a different type of stress because you're in a different environment, you're traveling. You're still working out. The language barriers. Language barriers. Yeah, most of them speak English. Um, I may mean, always have a translator with me anyway. But mm. how about the air quality, Beijing? Depending on where you're at, uh, air quality's up and down. Um, not the greatest in Beijing, but you know, you'd be surprised when you look it up and you see some of the, the places in the United States yeah, that are so right worse. on par they're or worse. worse. And worse. you don't notice it just because it's not as smoggy or not as foggy. Um, I think it's I, I just I think it's great that you're that you go and you experience uh, that culture. Um, and you grow help grow the game. And I think it's it's awesome, obviously, to be representative of Li Ni because then you're. You're on the ground running. Um, has D Wade gone? Yeah, D Wade goes every year. I mean, he's been going since he signed with the brand. He's actually should be yeah. heading out there pretty soon. Our, our tours uh, uh, coincided last year, and I was able to see him sign his lifetime deal. We had dinner together and stuff, uh, so it was great to, to be out there with him. But his following out there, whew. maybe uh, 
I mean, that's that's what you want, right? You want to be able to grow your brand to that point. Yeah, definitely being able to grow it, seeing some of the things he's been able to accomplish. He has like 12 or 13 standalone stores that only sell his merchandise. Wow. Wow. He's, he's built quite the empire, and, and it's well-deserved because he's a, he's a genius in terms of his marketing, the team he surrounds himself with. And obviously his game speaks for itself with the Hall of Fame career, but um, he's definitely helped me a lot in the business world and kind of showed me, you know, what's possible, you know, in this realm. All right, it's official. <laughs> Anthony Davis probably going to be leaving the Pelicans soon. Who do you think can give the most compelling offer? Well, I think that Boston got has the opportunity to get involved now, which they couldn't before. I think it's really interesting the package they could put together. You're talking about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, a ton of picks. I, I didn't think that Danny Ainge would ever give up Tatum, but he didn't have the kind of year I think most people expected. I still think it'd be a reach, but if you want to contend now and you're the Celtics and you feel like this is your opportunity, this is your window, with or without Kyrie, and we both think he's gone, don't you have to go out and get Anthony Davis if you can? I think it's something you consider for sure, depending on what what you have to give up, who you have to give up. Um, obviously, if Kyrie leaves, you have to figure out what you want to do with Terry Rozier. You know, do you resign him or do you allow him to walk? Um, Al Horford's going to be on the books for a lot of bread. Gordon Al Horford's going to have a ton of interest. Gordon Hayward's going to be on the books for a lot of bread. Um, Jalen Brown, a lot of suitors would want him. A lot of people would want Jason Tatum. And the list goes on and on. So you have to figure out what you're willing to give up in order to get AD. It's obvious AD will play the four and the five. So you're probably going to give up a four. And you're going to have to give up one of them young wings and probably a draft pick in order in order to appease David Griffin. So you just have to really figure out what you think AD is worth and if you'll be able to re-sign him once you trade for him. The problem with Hayward is he's got next year and then a player option, which he will exercise at $34.2 million. So God bless America and basketball. Absolutely. Horford's got a player option. Kyrie's got a player option. Um, Jalen Brown is interesting in the sense that he's really young, really talented, and as we have both discussed, see, he was the only guy in the Milwaukee series that really brought it. I like Jalen Brown a lot. I'm a big fan of his. I told him. Former um, uh, pull-up pod. Former pull-up pod guest. I told him that uh, eventually he's going to be in a position to make a lot of money either here in Boston or Mm -hmm. somewhere here in Boston, either there in Boston or somewhere else, and it's just more about his mentality and his approach to the game and how he can separate himself from other young players. Right. And I think his mentality, the way he approaches he's a, the he's, game. He's a, he's a constant attack mode. Yep. He dunked, well, he dunked on Giannis. He, yeah. he was dunking on either foot, you know, attacking the basket, showed his touch around the rim, showed his touch from about 15 mid-range, hit some threes. I like him. I like his aggressiveness. I think he was more aggressive in the playoff than Tatum was this year. Yeah. Yeah, more comfortable in his own skin in terms of – being a, a legitimate option. Um, the Lakers obviously are still in the mix, you'd have to assume. There are reports about David Griffin really liking Brandon Ingram. Out of Ingram, Kuz, Tatum, and Brown, um, what do you think is the most um, appeasing? Honestly, I'm surprised that the Pelicans didn't take the offer earlier. Ingram. Kuz, Hart. Hart's a good player. And a pick. Yeah. Maybe even throw in. This is a different regime, though. It's a different regime. I would have I would have taken that trade, honestly. You get, yeah. you get three good pieces. You get a draft pick. I think that's probably one of the trades they'll revisit 
and you know just kind of see where they're at. I think Magic Magic really liked Ingram, right? He's a big fan of Ingram. I don't think he wanted to trade him initially. Right. And then I, and, and then right. I think later on he may have been thrown into the trade. So uh, it's just something they have to think about and. They better get to thinking fast because the draft is, you know, 20-something days away. It's, it's coming in a hurry. Yeah, I'm going to read you a, a statement by David Griffin, current Pelicans GM. This is before before he was hired by the Pels, um, and this is him talking about Brandon Ingram. Literally, this kid doesn't even have control of his extremities yet. He's so long. He's got, like, that newborn deer lack of core strength. For Kyrie Irving to say that he was defensively tough for him is a huge statement. He's 21 years old. It defies the imagination. How old was Oladipo when he hit for Indiana? And Ingram is way more physically gifted than Oladipo. So we know that David Griffin loves Brendan Ingram. If he's included in a package, I would imagine that he pulls the trigger. So you're going on record saying that you think that he's going to pull the trigger and get Brandon Ingram. Well, I don't know if, if the LA is going to make Ingram available. I mean, how good is Ingram? How good can he be? Can be really, really good. Really good. The average about 18. Still doesn't really have a three ball yet. He's working on it, but most of his damage is done in the mid-range area. So once he generates that three-pointer and puts some weight on and just really starts to understand the game and continues to evolve, the sky's the limit for him. Um, what about Kemba? Kemba says he wants to be a Hornet. Smart man. Um, smart man. F- smart financially, for sure. Would you be surprised? I yeah. think he's very comfortable in Charlotte. He likes it. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, he's always he's he's always loved Charlotte, and he he bought a house there, built a house there, I believe. So, what do you think about? I mean, what would have to happen for him to to leave? I think they would have to seriously lowball him. I think that's the only way he can even considers it. I think he wants to stay there. I think he's comfortable with staying there. His family's comfortable. He likes the city. Bought a house. Organization's been good to him. He's been good to the organization. He's, he produced an all-star caliber year. They just need some more pieces. Thirteen all NBA. Yeah. Thirteen all NBA. They need a lot more pieces. I think Jordan understands, you know, what type of player he is, what he's been able to do for the community, yeah. what he's been able to do for the franchise, and well, he's been the face of the franchise. He's been the franchise. Yeah. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. So I think they they have a interesting dilemma and decision to make and I look forward to seeing what happens but either way I know my guy is going to get cashed out so I'm happy to see it because he's worked extremely hard for this and you look at how his game's evolved from when he first got in the league to now his ability to stop on a dime and shoot he's, mm-hmm. he's always had the ability to stop on a dime but now stop on a dime and shoot threes you know hitting big shots I think he's the franchise all-time leader in three-pointers made you're talking about a guy who quote unquote couldn't shoot threes. A guy who'll tell you I had to really work on my, my jumper and improve it because I was more mid range and in, into the rim. Had a floater too, but now I got a three ball and it's really changed right. everything for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 has improved every year. Another pull up guest. Another so. pull up pod guest. I mean, so shout out to my homies. Well thank you all for for tuning in to pull up pod as always. Jordan, I'll see you Have in a about great trip. 18, 19. I'll see you in a year. I'll see you in about 20 days. Yeah. Uh, I'll be checking in, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll be reaching out around uh, draft time, too. We'll be recording the pod in China as well. But uh, it's going to be a, a great trip. Really looking forward to working on my game, getting back on the court here shortly. So that'll be fun. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to... Oh, hello. Oh.